Welcome to episode 235 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded on 29th of January 2020. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi, I'm Carlton Reed, shivering here in frozen Newcastle. But to warm us all up, I've got a toasty interview with a French Riviera cafe owner. Well, sort of. Café du Cycliste started as the promotional cycle clothing brand of a Nice-based cycling café. But it soon became a brand in its own right. A rather upscale brand. Via some internet audio... I spoke with co-founder Remy Clement. Tell me, for a start, what's the weather like where you are? <laughs> right now, it's quite nice. There's a few clouds, but it's, uh, it's sunny. It's the coldest month of the year, though, so it's not as warm as, as we have in spring and autumn, but it's still quite nice. I'm going to go on my bike at lunchtime to, to ride. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of nice where you are because it's... Well, it's Nice. So, so it's so. Why are you based there for a start? Yeah, I forgot to mention I'm based on the French Riviera in Nice. Um, I'm based there because this is where this is where I lived even before I started Café du Cycliste. My previous job was there, so I was I was actually already there in Nice when I started Café du Cycliste. I moved there for a job, not at all for the sun. I moved there for my previous job, which was in IT, nothing to do with, with cycling, and, and I stayed there. In, in IT, tell me more about that then. What were you doing? In IT, um, <laughs> I was working for a company called Fortinet, which is uh, essentially doing cyber security, um, software and appliances. They're, they're Silicon Valley based, but the headquarter for Europe, Middle East, Africa and Asia is, is close to Nice. So I moved there. I was doing marketing for them. So very far from what I'm doing today, it was a... First, it's business to business, so I wasn't talking to my end users. I was talking to to enterprise, and I was in a field that was very different, um, and that's essentially quite far from from who I am. So this is very likely why I ended up leaving this world and and started Tafelisiklist. So, 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 what was the trajectory from being in the world of IT and forming a an apparel brand? Um, it's not an obvious one, but I guess like a lot of things in life, there's, there's always opportunities or things come a bit randomly and, and you never expect what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Um, I guess it's, it's a guy I was cycling with who's called Andre, who's my business partner today. And it happened, he was uh, the head of this company, at least for, the, for this region of the world. And we were riding at uh, lunchtime or weekends together. So from being my boss, he became a riding mate. And and then he left that company and he was in between jobs. And I was a bit 
let's say, bored with what I was doing and I wanted to move on to something else. And we had the same passion and, and, and then, and then it started Café du Cycliste. He actually invested in a cafe in the hills above Nice uh, and he renamed it Café du Cycliste. And at some point I joined him and I said, I want to do, I want to change something in my life. Let's start with the job. Uh, Cause I think that's, that's what makes me not so happy these days. So I want to do the cycling apparel for your cafe. And this is how it started. It was really a small, small project. No, no plan to take over the world. Just um, do a small range of clothing, um, essentially one deep short and two jerseys for the cafe. And then the clothing became bigger than the cafe and, and we moved on to something bigger. But initially it was just a friend and a shared passion and an idea to do some different looking cycling garment for our little or for his little cafe so you you saved me asking the question there because that would have been the obvious next question of course oh, <laughs> why did you name it okay so let me t- when was this what, what what year was this remy uh that's 10 years ago we started in 2009 actually i left my job in 18 2009 and we're starting selling cafe du cycle i mean selling yes selling in our cafe up there in the hills in 2010, so 10 years ago. Okay. And so Nice is, I mean, there's lots of pro cyclists there. There's, there's clearly going to be a very uh, strong amateur uh, scene. So you were selling to those kind of people originally? Lo- locals? Um, well, initially, the, we were selling to, to whoever would want to come in that cafe and very quickly, we built a website. We were IT people, so that's one thing we knew how to do is to build a website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I wasn't actually an IT people person, but and, and we started selling online quite quickly. So we sold to a few of the customers of the cafe, but the cafe was not as cycling-centric as you see today with stuff like, like concepts like we have in Nice or you see other, in other places in the world. This cafe was really... We call it Cycling Cafe because it was really on a beautiful road to cycle and it was in front of the fountain where everybody stopped to get water. But it was like a village coffee place with some tourists, some locals, some cyclists. It was really a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, don't even remember what question I'm trying to answer now. Well, who, who are you selling to originally? Was it was it the, the pros who lived there? Uh, yes, yes, yes. We were selling to... We were selling to the to the few cyclists stopping in that cafe, and we were selling online very quickly, and actually not necessarily in France, because what we were doing, the, the aesthetic or the vision of what we were doing was not necessarily appealing a lot to the French audience cyclists in the beginning. So we were selling online uh, first year to the rest of the world, I would say. But that was really a small, small, small scale business. So you know, when we had one or two orders a day, we were happy. <laughs> So describe your aesthetic. But that's how we start. I guess that's how every, every company starts. So, so Remy, just describe your aesthetic. So this is obviously a, like a radio program. So t- t- tell people without looking, going to look on your website to see uh, what your clothing look like. Just just, just describe it in audio terms the, the aesthetic of Café du Cycliste. Okay, well... The first thing I would say that I'm not from a cycling background. Um, I mean, I've cycled a lot in my life and 
pretty much since I'm, I'm a kid, but I've never raced in cycling. I've raced in kayaking. And I've done all the stuff, but I've never been a competitive cyclist. So the aesthetic is not driven so much by the heritage of, of cycling and by, by, by the racing part of cycling. Uh, so it's inspired by other things. The other things are mainly who we are. So we are French um, and where we ride. And we ride in this beautiful French Riviera, which people might not. I mean, people obviously know the French Riviera for the Cannes Film Festival, for Monaco, uh, for the, the beach, the sun and the sea. But the, the French Riviera, what we call the back country, the arrière-pays, is actually the reason why the pros live here um, and train here is because from Nice, you have 500 meters of flat land and then very quickly you're on hills and then you're on mountains and then before you've done 100 kilometers, you're in the highest mountain, um, you're on the Col de la Bonnette, which is the highest paved road in Europe. So basically, the playground here is a bit of flat land by the sea, which is beautiful, and then every sort of cycling you can imagine from hills to very high mountain. Um, and this is what drives who we are, and this is what drives the aesthetic of, of, of our clothing. So our clothing is, is, is very inspired by the outdoor, by the mountains, and by, by France in general. So we also look at the heritage of French garment making, things like the, which you see a lot now in cycling, the, 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 what we call the Breton stripes, for example, things like that. We find inspiration in other sports, in other areas than, than pure cycling, essentially. And we try to also, of course, do it with um, the other thing we, we decided to do is to not necessarily use the same fabric and the same material that's been used for a, a long time in cycling garment and go a bit more premium using all the fabrics, a bit more premium fabrics. So the, I would say the inspiration and the material we use drive our aesthetics. So when you see someone on the road with our garments, I mean, it doesn't look like the road racer of the weekend. We try to have the technicality of, uh, of the cycling garment, but not necessarily the um, traditional race aesthetic. Uh, and that, if you haven't, didn't you weren't a, a, like a, a cyclist as such, and you didn't have a background in fabrics or in clothing design but you founded a company so how did you actually research all of that side the design side the fabric side and where where did that come from and how long did you spend doing that yes um it's a good question uh it's a lot of work essentially it's it's the word is research so uh, i have no background in 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 cycling, I have a background in sport. So I've been a, uh, an athlete in kayak, so I, I know what a technical garment is. I, I understand the technical aspect, but I didn't know about the fabrics. I didn't know about garment making. So I just went to ask a million questions to a million different people and, and, and spend a lot of time researching, visiting them. I mean, get in contact with different factories, talk to them, visiting them, um, went to all the fabric trade shows I could find, discuss with every single fabric maker, ask all the stupid questions. And after 10 years, I, I, I hope I ask less stupid questions, but I still ask them a lot of questions. So essentially starting from the ground and, and did my research and, and learn from all those people. That's, that's how I learned, like 
pretty much like every job, but this one I had to I had to learn it very quickly and and I had to put a lot of effort. So the first three years of the company, this was most of my time. I would I would spend it on that. Hmm. And then, but I learned from scratch. Then you, before we go on to the, the kind of the business of your your company anyway, but you mentioned almost in passing there. I would like to delve into this: is your kayak background. So you weren't just somebody who went out on the weekend. You, you were a world champion. Yes, I I did compete in kayak for a long time. I started when I was uh, nine years old, and I raced until I was twenty seven, two thousand and three, if I'm right. So yes, I I raced in kayak, which is a may very likely I mean, wide water kayaking. So we're talking kayak in in wild wild water in the mountains. Um, which is an amateur sport, so it's not like cycling, um, and it's it's very likely also what shaped my my love for the outdoor, and and also very likely part of what Cafe du Cycliste is. This is why I see cycling for me. Cycling is a is an outdoor activity. Uh, road racing is a part of it, and it's a really beautiful and fun part of it to watch and. and or to to do if you if you're racing, but it's only a small part for me. It's it's all about being outdoor, and and that's come from my background, I guess, of kayaking. So yes, I've kayaked for many years. I've, I was in the French team for many years, and I spent initially a lot of my early early years in in that. And this is very likely why I wasn't so comfortable in a ninety at a pure. IT world because I was very very far from uh, from who I am. I feel much more at home uh, running a cycling company in the RRP in Nice. A- any ever ideas to do something in kayaking, or is it you you've, you've found your niche? You want to do cycling? You're not going to do anything for kayaking? <laughs> no, I don't really want to do anything for kayaking, but but. Um, I mean, clearly, the the way I see our sport, as I said, is is outdoor. So for me, all of those sports, which I when I was kayaking, I was training in the winter. This is how I, I found in love with cycling first, because my dad's a cyclist, has always been. So I still ride with him today every time I see him. Um, so it comes from my dad, and it comes from the fact that as a kayaker, I had to I had to train for long hours in the winter, and it's difficult to do pure aerobic training in kayak because um, the muscles get tired very quickly, the upper body with the, uh, within the kayak. So you have to do other things. I was doing a lot of cycling, cross-country skiing. Um, and for me, all of these sports have the same route. It's, it's, it's being outdoor. So I don't really want to do kayak uh, garment in the future, but, but when I do what I do today, I feel like I'm not that far from the, from from that world anyway. When I cycle with my dad up a mountain, and we're chatting and we're having a good time together, I feel closer to someone who is actually hiking in the mountain with his dad than I feel from Chris Froome or my racing friends when they're actually racing. For me, for me, this is what we do when we cycle. So I have no ambition to do kayaking, but I have ambition to belong to the same world, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen pictures of. Uh, so you you were telling me that you 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 a lot online, but you have the wonderful emporium. You have a wonderful shop. 
in Nice. And I've seen the photographs of this and it looks um, amazing in, in inside. So is that something that is like a sh- literally a shop window for your brand? Is that how you, you, you see it? Or is yes. It- yes, this is our base. I mean, you can see it as a base, as a flagship store, but you're right. The way you can see it is the brand is something very subjective and it's difficult to put, I mean, especially on the radio, defining a brand is very difficult, but we Anywhere it's difficult. In the cafe, in our place, you can actually touch the brand. Like this is, you, you know, this is the flesh around the bones, which what, which is what we call the brand. But here you can see the body, you can see the, you, you can touch it. So this is, this is the most important retail store for us because we have all the one. We have one in London, we have one in Mallorca, but this one is really where you see what Cafe du Cycliste is about. Is about. So it's a place when you see we have a cafe. Um, it's nothing new. We're not the only one in, in the business to have a cycling cafe. But obviously, a cycling cafe means you come and you talk and you chat and you meet before the ride and you meet after the ride. And the social element for us is very important in cycling. Um, in this place, you can get your bike fixed. You can rent premium bikes. We just have a, a new agreement with Cervelo. And this year, we're going to have our rental fleet are going to be beautiful, high-end Cervelo gravel and road bikes. So you can come and enjoy the French Riviera on your bike on our bike and we'll give you all the advices. We have big maps of the region and, and, and we have everything you need to know where you're going. We have uh, showers. So when you rent a bike from us or where you come for a ride, you can, you can get changed. You can take a shower there. So it's really about the experience of riding in our region. And I think that's a strong part of what the brand is about. So yes, you are absolutely right. It's more than a shop. Of course, it's good to have a shop. And it's good that people can touch the product, but it's also, it's more, it's more than that. And this is a different location from where it was founded, yes? Yes, absolutely. The initial one was a bit higher in the mountain. So you have the sea, you have the hills and you have the mountain. The first one was on the hills. Um, this one, when we simply moved at some, at some point, we wanted something bigger and we found this place in Nice. So we moved, we moved it in Nice. But it's a different okay. place. Yes, absolutely. And then I've seen the, 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 some of the photographs I've seen. You have a, a large table in the middle with like a 3D relief map of, of the area. So we'll, with all the mountains. Yes. And- yes, that's one of the beauty of what uh, the map makers in France do. They do these 3D uh, maps of pretty much every region of France. So we have this as a central piece in our cafe so the people can actually, it's easier, we can show the people where they're going to ride and people immediately understand what the terrain is like. What I just said about the 500 meters of flat and then you're in the hills, then people realize. Very often people like the... The idea of everybody about the French Riviera is only the sun and the sea. They don't realize what's behind. So this map really immediately get the things into context. It's very important for us. I guess a lot of people are going to be exploring this and finding this out in in end. Well, it's end of June, isn't it? the The ETAP is coming to your yes, neck absolutely. of the wood. Are you planning to ride that? I would love to ride, but I, I have a very good excuse. <laughs> I don't have my ticket to ride. But no, we ride this every day, so I'm happy to. I'm happy to not ride it. Even it's it's not a big issue. But yes, this year this year 
our region, which I truly believe is the best, and if not one of the best area in the world for cycling, is going to be the center of, of the cycling universe because the tour, the tour is coming here. It's starting here with uh, two stages around Nice. And then there is the Etape du Tour, which is obviously, as everybody knows, one of the biggest cyclosportives in Europe or in the world. And, and, and it's, also, it's also in Nice. So, yes, we are ready. We are, can't wait to welcome everybody and, and help everybody out here and, and enjoy yeah, this very, party with everyone. Very possibly me also, because literally 10 minutes before you, you, we, we started talking, I actually got an invitation uh, to come across oh. and, and ride the this year. Wow. So I have done it before. I've done it once before. Um, but this one, I mean, you just look at the, the parkour on this one. It's like, uh, it looks unbelievable. I mean, where you ride every day and we're very, I'm very jealous, uh, but I'm not going to be able to see that hopefully because the, 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 the attack is coming here and it just looks unbelievable for an attack course. It's just, uh, incredible. Yes, it's in, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but well, usually the Etape du Tour cyclosportive is always always a tough a tough stage. Um, but yes, I think it's 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 good because in the area we have so many. I mean, the only one that's really famous worldwide is called the Bonnet, called de la Bonnet, because the tour went through it quite a few times. But uh, a lot of the climbs here are not so famous. Maybe it's good because they're not so crowded. But we really have world class. Uh, you will see when you climb Turini. This is this is like serious serious climbing. Um, everybody know about Alpe d'Huez, but clearly for me Turini is is more interesting. It's more fun. It's as difficult, and um, and there's five or six different ways you can climb Turini. So there's a lot to discover around this. So I'm, I'm happy that the tour is coming here because this will put the light on this on those climbs, and and I think a lot of cyclists will. Will enjoy discovering those climbs and, and coming this year or the following years, because really we have we have the best here. Remy, you must be very happy this is this is coming. You're going to have the week before the tour. You're going to have twenty, thirty thousand hardcore roadies descending on on your on the Riviera. Uh, I'm presuming a lot of them are going to be coming into your your emporium. So you must be ecstatic that the the attack and then the tour of course the the following week yeah yeah absolutely it's very it's very very exciting of course we have to plan for it because uh <laughs> that that will be logistically maybe a bit complicated but it's it it can't be better for us it it, it it's lovely and um and really what we like about cycling is is really the social thing so Whenever we go to the cafe and we have people coming, I, we always love to ask them where you're going, where you now can we help you, where did you, what did you do, what ride did you do. So this is going to be just amazing because there will be people from from around the world coming just for that. We are ready mm-hmm. to help them and we're ready to chat with them and to ride with them. We're going to very likely organize rides every day, every morning from the cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do a lot of activities, obviously. A few evening drinks. I mean, we'll we'll publish everything we do in the in the coming months. But yes, it will be really like a a big party for us. So, so those who are unlucky enough not to be able to come and see you on the Riviera, they can see you in either Mallorca, as you said, or in London. So that that's your three emporiums: Mallorca, London, uh, Nice. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. For now, we have uh, those three flagship. Um, we're also selling through a few number, selected number of retailers, but we have our own shops, yes, in Mallorca, Nice, and London. So everybody is welcome, of course, no, to no, visit us. Okay. Nothing in the Americas? No, no plans for opening in Portland, Oregon? or. Uh, We'd love to be opening. Um, we have no plan for this coming year. Um, we've been growing quite fast lately. And for this year, we had to spend a bit of time on investing into our back office, so things that are a bit less visible from the outside uh, than opening a shop in Portland, for example. But that is very important for us to to deliver good service, whether it is in in the ordering, because we sell a lot online, so a lot. We sell mainly online. So from the logistic point of view, the the shipping, the customer service, a few things that we needed to improve to have some solid base to be able to continue to grow because we've been growing fast uh, in the last five years. So this year we decided to essentially focus on, on, on... all the things and opening new place, but for sure um, it's a possibility. If we are to open more, I think more and more we want to be where the riding is happening. Um, London was great because London has always been, I mean, the UK and London has always been um, a big customer base for us. So it's very good to be able to be there on the ground and, and meet our customers in London. But if we are to open more, I think the format of Mallorca and Nice is maybe more interesting for the brand, which is to meet the customers where where the action is. So if we are to open more, I think it's going to be more in the like of Mallorca, but not for this year. How about Asia? I'm assuming you're big in Asia. (laughs) <laughs> are we big in Asia? We're, we're not a big company, so I, I can't say we're really big anywhere. But part of our market is Asia, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, one of the positive for us is that our market is quite widely spread. So we, we sell in you know, for a startup. I think it's the same for a lot of cycling companies. We're not the only one. But generally speaking, for a startup, it's really good to have a, such a spread market because there's a lot of opportunities and you're not so affected when let's say it's raining in in germany but uh or in in the uk but but yes asia represents a solid part of our of our sales and mainly japan uh, and korea the strongest is japan korea and taiwan for now yes yes no i can imagine because i interviewed the guys from festka who uh, yes. you know, a Czech bicycle? They, they sell virtually none in, in Czechoslovakia, but and loads uh, in, in Bangkok is is their biggest um, overseas market. In that, the there's this incredible uh, sky uh, around the airport uh, track, a 21 kilometer road circuit basically, and all the rich roadies flock to there, and they're all on ten thousand dollar bikes. And I'm assuming they're all in very nice apparel as well. And because your brand is, yeah. it's high end. It's 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 up there with the the very uh, all of the brands that are very high end. So I'm just assuming that that's the kind of place where you're selling quite well. Where 
people are, are buying high-end apparel for riding high-end bikes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's happening. We have a retailer in uh, in Bangkok, and we see some online sales in Bangkok, and and similar things is happening in Indonesia. There's other countries in Asia, but yes, also as you said, Asia is invest a lot of Singapore and a lot of cities are massively investing into cycling infrastructures. So of course, this can only help, and it's happening as well in Europe, but not at the same scale. Sometimes it, it looks like in, in in Asia it goes quite quite fast so yes 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 high-end bike high-end apparel is is clearly is clearly something that people buy pretty much everywhere in the world so we sit there not so much because we really want to be high-end but because because we it's essentially the cost of what we produce we produce in um, in europe mainly we produce with with european fabrics we're European supplier. All of our fabrics, our trims, with maybe a few, few exceptions, but um, are from Europe and everything is uh, is made within Europe. We want to try to avoid as much as possible uh, producing in the Far East. And, uh, and of course, we don't produce millions of, of pieces every year. So, of course, our, the cost of what we produce is a bit higher than uh, some of the product you see on the market. So that positions us, yes, as a you could say a high-end brand, yes. So that that high-end market is, is is relatively crowded, and then you've got people who would wear Castelli, like they the kind of you know they they mm-hmm. head to they're wearing Castelli, and you can see them going around with the huge great Castelli logo on their their bum, basically. And then you've got the Rafa crowd, um, and then you've got uh, Le Col. So d- describe that kind of. That 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 milieu that that the, the brands that you've got in your circle. Where do you see yourself fitting in with those kind of brands? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them today. Um, but first, I think the overall, I think that uh, for the customer, it's really good because one of the reasons we started Cafe du Cycliste. I mean, Rafa was already existed existing when we started, but there was very limited choice. Um, in what you could buy if you didn't necessarily want to buy a very performance-oriented brand. So I find it really good that today as a customer, whatever you like and whatever your vision of cycling is, you will find something that's for you. You can buy you know, from ASOS, X-Bionic or Castelli, or you can buy jersey with fluor pineapples on them or you can buy totally understated and beautiful garment there's something for everyone this is very positive i find if i if i'm honest if i'm a customer i'm really happy that i have that much choice now from a brand perspective of course there is a lot of competition but i think it's well, first it's, it's it's good because i i mean i've been a competitor in, in pretty much all my life so i have no problem with that i find it quite quite positive I think what's important is that um, as a brand, we have a genuine reason for doing what we do and a, a genuine story. I think that's the most important. When, we, when I say the market's a bit crowded, the problem is when brands just are just sitting there with no, no real, there's no real reason, there's no real 
um, differentiation and nothing really new. Um, so I think that's where that's when it starts to be a bit difficult because the customer is lost. He doesn't know why he should buy this brand or this brand. Everybody's saying the same thing. Everybody's pretending they're having the best possible product. So I think the most important is that uh, is that the customer can buy you for, for, for a reason. So obviously the most important one is the quality of your product. You're doing quality product, technically efficient, um, and they're going to last long. But they also are going to pick a brand because they believe in the vision of the brand. That, you know, they believe that this is what they want. This is how they see cycling. It, 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 it's this is who they are, and that's that's almost as important for me when I when I buy a product as the actual product. Both sit together in in the in the decision making for me. Um, so I think the good thing is in cycling. There's obviously we're not sitting in the same. For example, Le Col is a is is an interesting brand. It's beautiful. It's founded by by pros or ex pros, and 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 they're very dedicated to racing. and And it's I totally respect that, and it's very interesting. But that's not necessarily who we are. So I think that's very good. There's different options, different diff- different visions, and the customers can can decide what what he wants, or maybe he wants both, and he have a bit of one and a bit of the other, or maybe he feel what he who he is is more cafe cyclist or is more local. This is beautiful. So I think as long as all those brands have a different identity and a reason and a story for the customers, then it makes sense. Obviously, today there's there's a bit more than that, and it's competitive. But I think this will this will settle soon or later so i'm not too i'm not too worried and it's part of your story that people are buying into is the french riviera is the the, the kind of mountains behind you the the whole cafe culture there imagining when you're you're in you're going into yorkshire and you're you're riding out into box hill in surrey or whatever but you're also buying into yeah i could be on the french riviera right now having coffee uh, in Nice, is is that? Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, that's that's clearly part of it. But it's not only that. When in cycling, you can cycle for many different reasons. You can well, the most obvious one that everybody sees, and that's been the main driver in the market for a while, is racing, which is one of the reasons to cycle. Whether you race, you know, at competition or world class level or local level still racing and even a lot of people who are doing cyclo sportive are in a way racing at their level um, but you can you can cycle for other reason you can cycle for social reason like my dad who's 70 years old or, or more than 70 years old he he rides every other day you know he's not riding for racing but whenever he rides he goes out and he's chatting with his mate and that's the same as what I'm doing every now and then I like to ride on my own, but I love to ride with people because, you know, it's a social club activity. It's a, it's a, you can ride for fitness or for health because you want to lose weight because you want to stay fit. You can ride for, to travel for adventure. You can ride for transport reason because you need to go to work or you need to go to see grandmother. There's a million different reasons to ride. So I think the way, the way I see it is, is Café du Cycliste is trying to basically appreciate all of those reasons to ride and not just one so when you it's not just about the french it's not just about the french riviera it's about the fact that cycling is a bit more 
it's a bit more than just uh, exercising on your bike for two hours. It's it's really it's really a lifestyle. That's that's more than just uh, racing. You mentioned a minute ago transport, and you've just that second there mentioned lifestyle. So combine those two. I believe you've got a cargo bike. Is that right? And that's how you get around in Nice. Is and you take your. Have you got a son that you take to school on a cargo? Yes, bike? I have a cargo bike. It's it's quite a. Yes, I do. It's quite a funny story because when I was kayaking, one of my training mates from the same region as me, he started he started a, a cycling cargo company in the US uh, called Yuba, and I lost track of him for quite a few years, and then. 12 years down the road, suddenly I realized one of my best kayaking mates is actually running a cargo bike company in, uh, in San Francisco. But anyway, um, this is how I went, get to have a cargo bike, and that, that's amazing. Yes, I bring my, I know he cycles, so I don't need to bring my son to school with a cargo bike anymore. But the cargo bike is how we, is how we transfer goods from the warehouse to the shop in Nice. Uh, that's how we replenish the stock in Nice, but that's also how I do my groceries. That's it's it's lovely. You can carry your friends on the back of your bike. It's we should just stop using cars and your you and use cargo bike. Thanks to Remy Clement of Café du Cycliste. There, uh, the next episode of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast will be a rolling interview with Shimano Man. Meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>